Hi, everyone. Welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rookrout. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And today we have a little recap of some recent July releases in theaters. We'll be talking about Pig, Old, Stillwater, and The Green Knight. I have a pretty wide range of feelings about these movies. How did you feel about this group? This group will be fun to talk about, mainly because we'll have a huge swing from one of them to the other. There was one movie in this group, people can probably guess what it was, that I am absolutely (laughs) obsessed with and can't wait to talk about, and another that will be fun to talk about for a different reason. (laughs) (laughs) I will also start out by saying I had some very unique experiences in the theater at three out of four of these movies, and it really just makes me want to, you know, win the lottery and have my own movie theater at home so it could be just silent and zero distractions, but that's not reality. The one that stuck out to me was for The Green Knight, which was an upsetting way to start this movie. So I walk into the theater and I go to the front to check my ticket and they go, oh, you have to see the counter because something happened. So I go up and they're like, oh, your theater has been switched and the algorithm changed the seats to try to match what you were sitting in before. And I like to sit near the front. I think we've Mm -hmm. gone over this. Yeah. First four rows. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And she goes, oh, your seats are going to be K, five and six. And I was like, well, K is not close. And I was like, well, can I change my seats? Can I see, you know, the theater? And it's the last row. So this algorithm is not working well. But then I go into the theater and this guy is in my seat again, just like during old. (laughs) For old, you should have just let him stay and you could have just gone home. I could have just left. Yeah, it should have been a sign. (laughs) They like took their shoes off. They brought out these family sized bags of potato chips. I was like, what is happening right now? But in the green night, he moved over and he fidgeted. I kid you not the entire movie. I had to, like, shield my face because he kept moving and distracting me. It was like Mm -hmm. every minute he was going for his soda, he was going for the popcorn, he was scratching, he was moving in the chair, he was going back and forth in the recliner. I was like, oh my god, I cannot do this right now. (laughs) So that was a whirlwind. Needed to get that off my chest. (laughs) Oh boy. Yeah, that's that's definitely rough for a very, I would say, meditative exactly that has a lot of stillness to it so (laughs) that's really tough i will say for that one too my theater was very restless (laughs) i would say every five minutes someone was getting up to go to the bathroom someone was like talking (laughs) (laughs) all right before we dive into these movies we have some updates in the film world we got a number of trailers and i think first though and foremost we had two big delays The first one was that Blonde was delayed until 2022, and also the untitled David O. Russell film slash Canterbury Glass was also delayed until 2022. That, of course, puts both of those movies out of the Oscars race. I know we were thinking Canterbury Glass could be a really big player in tons of categories. Blonde, in particular, I think we were thinking maybe just Best Actress. Do you know if these were actual production delays, or is this more of a strategic move? to not be in this year's Oscars based on what we now know are going to be big players at the Oscars? I think Canterbury Glass is probably strategic. I don't also think it's finished yet. I think if you're not finished, Mm -hmm. it just makes sense at this point to move. Blonde, I feel, got pushed because it's bad. 
I'm really worried about that. This movie just has, in a similar way, and maybe this is just me thinking of Ana de Armas' other project, in a similar way that Deepwater keeps getting moved. That is also apparently not good. So I'm thinking that that could be part of the reason why here. And then we also got a few trailers this week. I think a lot that will have Oscar potential, some that won't. Starting off, we got Flag Day, The Card Counter, and Lamb. Also three very different movies. Flag Day premiered at Cannes, right? Flag Day was at Cannes, yes. And it got mixed reviews. I would say mixed (laughs) negative. So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't count this one in predictions at all. I think I saw this before The Green Knight and I was like, wait, what is this about? The poster is so unintentionally hilarious as well, (laughs) I have to say. The card counter also was just an oddly edited trailer. The flashback sequences with the Willem Dafoe character, I wasn't sure what was happening there. The dialogue felt a little messy, but Oscar Isaac playing poker, that's appealing to me. But with Tiffany Haddish there, I think she'll always bring this air of comedy, and that's not what this is. So her character and then them hooking up later in the trailer, I was like, what is going on here? So I'm confused about this one, too. It's also Paul Schrader, who is a Mm -hmm. PR nightmare. Um, So I don't know what's going to happen with this one and what the studio is going to try to do with it. And then Lamb, which I didn't see until I saw in the theater. And my friend and I were like, excuse me, what? I'm very excited for this cute little lamb that is, you know, walking and in child's clothing. (laughs) Just like peak weird A24. Yeah, a very weird Numi Rapace vehicle. It's, again, I don't think an awards player, but will definitely be one that I will check out and I'm sure like revel in all of its weirdness. And then we got some bigger ones that I think we can maybe expect to see or at least hear people talk about through award season. King Richard, what did you think of that? And in particular, Will Smith. Huge crowd pleaser. I am so excited for this. I think it's going to be really emotional. Part of me is disappointed that it's about Will Smith and not really focusing on the Williams sisters. But I think it'll be interesting, too, if it's all at this point in time when they're younger and starting out, or if they're going to have multiple actors playing them, or Venus and Serena showing up, maybe being at the end of the film. I think that Mm -hmm. would be really cool. Yeah, and another thing I noticed was that The reason why I even saw this trailer, why it was on my timeline in the first place, was because Serena herself shared it. And so that, to me, indicates, like, their involvement in the project. Okay. um, Not just, like, in the project itself, but Mm -hmm. in the marketing and, you know, in getting people to see this film in their approval of it. And Mm -hmm. I think that this definitely, like you said, looks like a crowd pleaser. Will Smith already is a really popular person so it makes sense that this would be something that viewers at home would latch on to this will be one of those day and date hbo max warner brothers releases so i think it just all lines up for that crowd pleaser best actor maybe even best picture nominee definitely we also have to talk about dune which we got the first official trailer for and i went to see the first 10 minutes I've been teasing you about this. Um, (laughs) I don't know what to share here. I could just leave the room for a little bit because (laughs) I also 
won't let myself watch this trailer either. I am just no oh, Dune you haven't content watched the trailer? until the movie. No. Okay. I don't want any of the sets to be spoiled, what they're doing. I want all of the CG to be brand new when I see it. Here's what I'll say, just for listeners. You can plug <laughs> your ears if you want. The score is incredible. Like, that was the first thing I noticed where I thought, oh, okay, Hans Zimmer and Denis Villeneuve, this is a good pair. He talked about how, I don't know if you want to hear this, but I thought this was really cool. He talks about how in typical space movies, you would have violins and horns and these types of instruments. And he thought, like, why do we assume that these types of instruments are out there? We need Mm -hmm. to create our own. That was, like, Mm -hmm. his whole thing is like creating our own sound and basing it off of women's voices like the female characters in the story i will say i'm very concerned though about the average moviegoer seeing this who has not read the book or is not as invested in the world because it doesn't handhold it jumps right in i guess i am lying a little bit i did listen to a little bit of paul's dream i think it's the opening song that's on spotify right now and it was very much not what I expected from Hans Zimmer. So mm-hmm. I'm still really excited. And I have in the past week finished the book. So I'm so intrigued. I really hope there's a part two. Yeah. So the title that- card that comes, it does say Dune part one. So audiences will know right away that this is not going to be the full Dune that mm-hmm. you've maybe gotten in the past. And then our last trailer, House of Gucci. Maybe one of the most anticipated trailers and movies of this year, at least on Oscar Wilde. How did you feel about Adam Driver, Lady Gaga, Al Pacino, everything? I think I've watched this trailer between 15 and 20 times. (laughs) It is everything that I want this movie to be. It Mm -hmm. looks ridiculous. So over the top. I think the accents are great. This, though, what it shows me first and foremost is I think I was thinking about it as like, oh, this is going to be like Gaga and Adam Driver. But when I watched the trailer, I could only focus on Gaga. And then the other character that I'm definitely curious about is the Jared Leto character who is just like full prosthetics. So I can't wait for it. I'm so excited. I am hoping, like what this trailer is showing, that this is the best vehicle for Lady Gaga to win her acting Oscar. I loved her accent too. I think she looks incredible. I mean, these costumes could even be nominated. If the makeup and prosthetics are nominated, I don't need that. But it was interesting to see like Jeremy Irons, Sama Hayek, Jared Leto in this trailer. So it's very much a family venture, but I'm only going to see this for Lady Gaga. It looks like a soap opera I really can't wait. I will be counting down the days until we can see House of Gucci. Speaking of Ridley Scott, we also got the last Duel trailer. What did you think of this? A mess. (laughs) (laughs) The wigs are really tough. Specifically Uh Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Like, I really... It has midlife crisis all over it, this movie, I think. Which we'll probably get into with Matt Damon a little later. I think we kind of have to remember that this was supposed to come out last year, too. So we Mm -hmm. would have had this before Annette, before Stillwater, way before House of Gucci. So I don't don't know if that reframes their performances, but 
I also think just the story of this Me Too denial, it's just really odd. Yeah, it's tough. And I will say I'm really worried about the script in particular, knowing that like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are writing it. But I did hear, which gave me a little bit of hope, that Nicole Holop Center is writing the Jodie Comer perspective. So her character. Okay. So that she wrote, Can She's You Ever great. Forgive Me? She's a great screenwriter. So mm-hmm. I have a little bit of hope there. But it will be interesting if this one becomes the bigger Oscar player than House of Gucci. Or if we have a Jodie Comer, Lady Gaga nominee situation Hmm. where both of them get in and i put this in our outline just because i was actually kind of looking forward to seeing this movie as like a cats kind of movie (laughs) and that's clifford the big red dog what (laughs) (laughs) i just wanted to experience it like this is the perfect movie for when you just need to go to the theater for the air conditioning and the Mm -hmm. giant diet coke and just get swept away in something crazier than whatever is happening in your life. And that's why I wanted to see Clifford. And it got pulled. <laughs> and it's no longer on the TIFF website. So I don't know what's going on with it. I'm scared it's an omen for, you know, everything that's happening with the Delta variant. And, mm-hmm. you know, other releases possibly getting delayed for us. But yeah, it's also prob- it could also just be really bad. And that's why they're moving it. The reasoning is 50-50 for me right now. I could have gone either way (laughs) of explaining that. So let's get into our movies for today. First off, we'll be talking about Pig. IMDb description here. A truffle hunter who lives alone in the Oregonian wilderness must return to his past in Portland in search of his beloved foraging pig after she is kidnapped. This was directed by Michael Sarnowski and stars Nicolas Cage, Alex Wolfe, and Adam Arkin. I thought, especially with all of Nicolas Cage's recent ventures in movies, which have gone to the absurd, I did like that this took more of a meditative side and did not going all out total action. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Pig? I really liked this movie a lot, mainly because it surprised me. I think... You know, seeing Nicolas Cage on that poster, he looks really grimy, he looks gruff and beat up. So I was ready for Mandy or something that was just totally (laughs) off the wall. And what I got was something, like you said, so meditative and so different from what I was expecting. I really enjoyed it. I think that this is a really wise pivot and performance for Nicolas Cage, who I think can often get caught up into kind of a shtick that's like, oh, I'm self-aware, but also a bit chaotic and it can do the camp and this Mm -hmm. is going back to what I think people have forgotten about Nicolas Cage which is that he's a really good actor and this is a really strong performance and he really carries the movie I think on his shoulders what works about this is that he can when he's in a movie with a bit of a ridiculous plot because it is kind of a strange plot when you think about it just on its surface like Mm -hmm. this man's truffle pig is stolen He's a really believable actor to carry that type of story, to really embrace it, but also bring it to new territory and make it really surprising and really sad at the same time. It's a really Mm -hmm. bizarre film, but a really sad film, and I very much enjoyed it. I didn't initially expect to feel a certain way and to be thinking about my own life. Mm -hmm. Like As it goes and you start to understand this relationship of human Mm -hmm. and pig more and more and how deeply he felt for her it's so weird because it's really slight 
but you start to appreciate things more in your own life. And in seeing Nicolas Cage, Rob, having been this chef, and I really liked how that whole plot history was developed and explained, you start to realize that, you know, he was living in the wilderness because it just made him happy and he was over the hustle, but he still had his talent and he accepted that about life. And I think that's what was so cathartic about watching this and understanding what was going on and why he was fighting so hard to find this pig. And in those final moments, you know, it was so devastating. But again, Nicolas Cage just does a great job at showing subtleties and in really going for it when the character was asked to. Mm -hmm. I really like the way that his past is it kind of slowly revealed to us. Like, we don't know right off the bat. You have to really let this movie wash over you to really get everything out of it, kind of like you said. And the pig itself is really just a MacGuffin. Like, the pig is important, yeah. obviously, but mm -hmm. it's to get you to that point where you really understand what he's been feeling and you feel that way yourself about your own life. I think it works well in that way. And I love how it opens and it almost, I was kind of disoriented about what time period we were actually in. It almost felt like we were in some type of like Kelly Reichardt like universe in Oregon. Like this man totally. just lives out in the woods and it's really jarring when Alex Wolf shows up. But I liked that as the juxtaposition between this fast paced life where you just care about money and achievement and mm -hmm. then the life that's just without those material things and what can make you choose either way or pursue either way. And then Amir, the Alex Wolf character, he isn't everything that he seems either. So I really liked how they did that with the characters too. I felt like his character was a little too over the top at times, but I understand that they were trying to juxtapose old and new and... Really quick, did you see The Truffle Hunters, the documentary? No, I still... Oh my God, okay. That definitely added to Alex Wolf's character for me because in that documentary, you learn how wild these people are who are in the truffle business and mm -hmm. they are super over the top, honestly. It's a very specific person who goes into that line of work, but it's very cutthroat. So I think that movie actually helped me a little bit in understanding the motivations of some of these characters in this movie. Highly recommend The Trouble Hunters. Delightful documentary, if you can find where to watch it. <laughs> Is it lost again after it was pulled from theaters? It's short It release. honestly might be. I think the Alex Wolf parallel between this and Old is interesting. We don't have to go too deep into it, but I think his character in Old is... <laughs> I don't know. Did you like him here or there more? Well, here more. I'll start there, I think. <laughs> I really like him. I think he's a good actor. I think that here he has better material to work with. So mm -hmm. I think I'll say Pig. <laughs> <laughs> I think he does more in Old, and I'll explain that later. But okay. my other favorite scene from this movie is when Rob and Amir go to this restaurant and Rob just tears apart this chef that he knew years ago with like two sentences. Mm -hmm. And he is calm, but the camera focuses on the chef and he just slowly devolves and starts to cry and go insane inside because mm -hmm. he knows that what Rob is saying is so true. And I feel like how Nicolas Cage here is with his words is how Paul or Timmy are 
going to be in Dune. Because that is how they use their words in the book, and I love it so much. Hmm. Okay. My Dune journey is... We'll talk about that another time. It's not really a spoiler. It's just they have so much power in the words they choose and how they say them. And I think, especially here, he knows exactly what to say because he knows the chef so well, because he knows every meal that he's ever cooked and who's eaten it. I love this scene too. This is my favorite scene. And I think it also gets at the heart of like the culinary world and mm-hmm. chefs. Yep. And like you have all of these chefs who are doing these like foams and weird yeah. emulsions and they don't have any like heart and soul connected to their dishes. And you can see through this one scene, like this is part of the reason why Nicholas Cage's character Rob went away. I think the titles of the chapters in this movie being dishes I found interesting. I mean, I just like to cook anyway, but yeah, it also made me very hungry. Mm-hmm. Like the meal they make at the end looked divine. Oh my God. It looked so, so good. <laughs> it's like, oh. Do you think that Pig has any awards potential? I would love to see Nicolas Cage get like a Gotham nomination. Mm-hmm. Something smaller, not Oscars. I think that's pretty apparent, but... I think it gives something that the independent award scene could definitely nominate. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right about Gotham Awards or maybe even Independent Spirit Awards. Critics Awards, for sure. I think Neon can and should push him in Best Actor categories. And they kind of already are, in a way. All of the promotional materials for this are about Nicolas Cage's performance. So I hope that that can happen. But as far as like the big ones go, I think it's just too small. And this was Michael Sarnowski's directorial debut. So I think he has a lot of potential. I think he could get some recognition in some of those directorial debut categories. Yeah, that would be great. And if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? It would definitely be Best Actor for Nicolas Cage. He carries the movie. He gives Mm -hmm. a pretty revelatory performance. What about you? I agree. I would give it to him as well. I just cannot wait for this movie that we've heard about coming out now next year, sadly, but The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Mm-hmm. I think he he's turning into this actor for me that I always want to see no matter what it is because it's going to be different every time. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to age rapidly as we talk about old? <laughs> This might take a few years off my life. Let's do it. IMDb description here. A family on a tropical holiday discovers that the secluded beach where they're relaxing for a few hours is somehow causing them to age rapidly, reducing their entire lives into a single day. This was directed by M. Night Shyamalan. It stars Vicky Crapes, Gael Garcia Bernal, Rufus Sewell, Thomas and Mackenzie, Eliza Scanlon, Alex Wolf. Okay. I don't really know where to begin, but I think just general reactions. What did you think of old? The one thing I liked and the half star review that I gave it was for (laughs) the twist ending where they explain what's happening. And I was like, okay, I understand this, but this should have been a 20 minute short and not a 90 whatever minute movie. Oh my God. I hated when they explained the twist (laughs) this was was like no please get me out of here but besides that the writing oh my god every single line 
And then the delivery, no matter how good these actors are, like they can't make them sound any better than what they are. Vicky Crepes was operating from the Alma dinner scene the entire movie. <laughs> like if you've seen Phantom Thread, that scene, like what she's doing there, M. Night Shyamalan said, do this for two hours. This is what you need to do. I'm not saying that's her fault. Again, like it's the dialogue. The dialogue was so, so tough. I feel like each actor performed their lines separately and then they somehow put them all together in CG and just like made a movie out of it. Like this is the quintessential COVID movie because there's no way they were on that beach together. I'm not convinced. I just like where it starts and it's what's your name and occupation? Hi, I'm Sophia and I'm a teacher. Like what? It's like a bad yeah. networking event. That's what I just kept thinking of. It was just like, <laughs> this is not how people talk. And M. Night Shyamalan has problems writing dialogue. Like, this is not anything new. Screenwriting is very hard, obviously. Like, it's mm-hmm. not easy to write convincing dialogue. But this was like, this was beyond. This was like Mad Libs. Again, my other favorite part through all of this craziness was... In imagining Alex Wolf, so this is what I was mentioning earlier, mm-hmm. he, as this grown-up six-year-old, is screaming, like, mommy, mommy. And, like, imagining having to be in that mindset of, okay, I'm playing a six-year-old, what do I do, is kind of fascinating. To me, the standouts of the movie were Alex Wolf, Eliza Scanlon, and Thomas and McKenzie. Because I do think that would be really hard to be like, okay, physically, I'm me but mentally i'm six but i still don't understand i guess i still don't think there was enough work done to like make us believe that that's what was happening especially for the parents i'm like you're not really reacting enough to your kids being yeah all of a sudden (laughs) pregnant (laughs) like (laughs) i think vicky did the most here but still it was like one reaction shot and then acceptance and that's like again it's not the actor's fault like this is just the right this (laughs) is the writing like they were doing this with what they were given yeah i will say like it is so bad it's funny like it ventures into that type of territory Mm -hmm. where like all this to say it's still not the worst movie i've seen this year like you can definitely i think watch this and have fun with it even if the dialogue is atrocious my theater reminded me not to take this too seriously because everybody was laughing and that mm-hmm. kind of took me out and then I was like okay <laughs> have fun with it we know this is bad just accept it mm-hmm. and I think that's why it was annoying because you could tell that he wasn't trying to be funny by all of this the twist itself just like happened way too quickly and it didn't have that emotional payoff that I think some of his other twists have like for me in the sixth sense and in signs Those, I think, make a little bit more sense in the context of Mm -hmm. the story. But this one just felt like, okay, there needs to be a twist. I have to put Mm -hmm. this in here. Some of the clues just should have happened 30 minutes prior in the movie. Like, he Mm -hmm. delayed certain things to make it try to flow better. The coral just kind of comes out of nowhere. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with you. Like, the clue itself could have been, like, a bigger part of the story a little bit earlier on. I did love, though, did you recognize who the older Thomas and Mackenzie was? Of course, from Matilda. Yes, Miss Honey. <laughs> yes. 
I think another weird part of the movie was just the body horror that he put in. The scene that I will, I'm not going to give it away just in case, where they do a little bit of an operation on Vicky Crapes' character. Oh, jeez. That oh, was... God, not the scene. That was beyond. I really was just, all right, we're here. We're doing this. Why? <laughs> They're just like, oh, yeah, put your fingers in and hold it open. It's like, oh, yeah, that's totally safe. But you're going to stab somebody else with a rusty knife, and that's what will kill them. Like, Yeah, the, the ways that people live and die were a little perplexing. I will say I'm a little confounded by people's praise of the technical work in this movie. It really didn't work for me. Absolutely the cinematography, with the camera work. And I respect other people's opinions, but it did not work for me. The constant panning... I found them to be distracting and not really doing anything for the story itself. And then the 360 degree shots, maybe there were a few that worked. And I understand like some of the closer up shots were trying to play with the age and mm -hmm. the characters of people and mislead the audience. But even from those, you understand what's happening. But most of them, they just aren't accomplishing anything. And my film class jumps out at me but i think every shot should have a purpose and that just doesn't happen here no it made me really grateful for the green knight i'll say that <laughs> yeah. aside from the camera work just the idea of your parents aging rapidly that made me really sad i did think there was a lot of like mm -hmm. emotional intensity there i just wanted them to go into that a little bit more and like lean into the sadness of it all Mm -hmm. Aging in general is something that everyone can relate to. That was a good emotional core for the movie, but they didn't stay there long enough. I think they focused too much maybe on like how each character was dying. No, I totally agree. And now that you're saying it like that, I think they focused too much on the short term mm -hmm. and in emphasizing these horrors of aging so quickly and what it could do to your body maybe. And I think it would have been more impactful had they thought of the long term. Yeah. And really related it to reality. Mm -hmm. Because, yes, they explain what's going on, but it's not real. Right. That was the part of the movie where I was thinking, like, oh, I'm actually getting a little bit emotional thinking about that more and, <laughs> you know, thinking about it in relation to my own life. So any awards potential here... No, I think it's cool that this did so well at the box office. You know, we obviously had problems with it, but also had fun with it. And I think that's good enough. What about you? I'm in the same boat. I'm trying to think of what M. Night Shyamalan usually gets nominated for. It's kind of across the board. We've talked about The Sixth Sense previously on the pod. But visual effects, no. I think, sure, some of the aging lines on the characters' faces were good but not good enough for nomination anywhere editing no music not really so yeah i'm gonna say just go and enjoy this movie not expecting a ton <laughs> and if you could give this movie one oscar what would you give it can this be the one movie i never give something yeah i was gonna say i'm gonna pass here and just... double up on oscars for another movie <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that's fine. That's fair. <laughs> okay, so now on to Stillwater. Description here. A father travels from Oklahoma to France to help his estranged daughter, who is in prison for a murder she claims she didn't commit. It's directed by Tom McCarthy and stars Matt Damon, Abigail Breslin, and Camille Catan. 
What did you like? What did you think about Stillwater? Stillwater really surprised me. I think I went into the movie thinking it was going to be more of a straight up procedural or thriller. I thought it was going to be one of those taken meets spotlight, honestly. I'm not going to judge the movie itself on my preconceived notions of what it was going to be. I don't think that's fair to it. But I do think that the script was trying to do too much. I think that it has a three-act structure and all three acts don't really have to do with each other. They almost operate like separate movies. I think it's really ambitious to try to tackle something like this that's trying to say a lot of different things. And there was a good amount of it that I did actually enjoy, but I did keep thinking to myself, and this is going to send me to podcast timeout, but I kept thinking, what if this was a Clint Eastwood movie? Like, it just felt like it should have been a Clint Eastwood movie to me. Yeah. Because he wouldn't have been as afraid to explain, like, why the Matt Damon character was the way that he was. And that, to me, was one of the biggest flaws of the movie. And I think a story like that, again, it's very ambitious, but I don't think it was executed in the way that it could have been. And I think that part of that is because we know what Tom McCarthy can do with Spotlight. What did you think about it? I think it was made for the same audience demographic as Clint Eastwood films are. I understood the story. Like, I get what he was doing. It was a very small part of Spotlight where you're on this journey to solve this crime, this mystery. And the other part is connecting with these characters and these humans. And I think Tom McCarthy does have a good handle on characters and building these relationships. And this might get me put in timeout too. (laughs) But it's just kind of forgettable. Like, you know, it happened and I'm like, okay, great. Now what? Like the movie itself? Yeah. And what he was trying to do, I mean, apart from the ending, which did we need this like twist ending in there? Like, what is he trying to say? I think the third act is where it really falls apart, honestly. Like, I liked the first part where it does feel like it's going to kind of be more of a thriller. It's this dad on this journey and everything that his daughter's been going through. I do think it was kind of smart to set it five years in. And then I did like the story that didn't really have anything to do with the first part with the actresses who played Maya and Virginie. I liked those actresses and I liked the relationships that formed there. But then it gets into weird territory at the end. And that's where it kind of lost me a little bit. I think I'm in the same boat because I, I guess in explaining why I feel meh about it is that I liked this French family and who they were becoming, but it had nothing to do with the Bill Allison drama happening and why Bill was in Marseille. Right. And I think that's what I was saying, how it's it's kind of ambitious, is that I liked what they were trying to do there of the commentary on Mm -hmm. American people in Europe and what Europeans, specifically French people in this case, how they feel about Americans and the stereotypes Mm -hmm. that come with characters like Bill, who are very much like drive a truck, get subway in France, prey over their sonic limeade and tater tots. Like that's a very stereotypical like type of American that very much exists. Mm -hmm. And I liked the commentary there and what they were trying to do. But again, it felt disjointed from what was going on with Bill and with Allison. Yeah, it's like he explores these things, but not to their fullest extent. Thinking back, I do like this scene where Virginie and Bill, they meet with the previous owner of the store who was there when the crime was committed. And the owner really just wants to put away any Muslim person 
and Virginie is so upset by this, you know, she storms off and says, he's a racist. I can't talk to anybody like this. And Bill's like, I work with people like this all the time. Let's go figure it out. But then it kind of stops there and he doesn't expound on that. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a really interesting commentary in how we have to interact with all kinds of people in this world. And I wish he would have gone further. Yes, exactly. That's the thing. It just always kind of stops short. Like, it's the same thing Mm -hmm. with the scene when her friend asks what we've all been wondering, which is like, did you vote for Trump? And Mm -hmm. he just stops and is like, no, I I couldn't vote. And that's a great opportunity for more follow-up questions. Like, Mm -hmm. I just wanted to know more. (laughs) Like, it just kind of felt like a cop-out. It was like, dive into it. If you want to make this character... You need to say more and you need to show more, mm-hmm. I think, with his actions. And those scenes I thought were so good. I like the scene when Virginie and Bill went to talk with those girls about trying to find Akeem based on those photos on Instagram from the party. I really thought that scenes like that had a lot of potential, but they would always just kind of pull right up to where I wanted them to go and just back away. So mm-hmm. I think that it could have been a much better movie. And I think I just saw the potential in its bones and just wanted a little bit more. I also do think Matt Damon is good in this, but I think that it focuses like almost too much on it being like a performance. Like it feels still in some ways stereotypical and like look at Matt Damon being this mm-hmm. Republican. Yeah. And that also adds to the film being confused because it's obviously a spotlight, no pun intended, on Matt Damon But there's so much other story happening. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel convinced. You know, there's been talk of, oh, Matt Damon for best actor. And I'm like, please don't do that. (laughs) It's not big enough or strong enough. We know the Oscars love subtle performances, too, along with big ones. But this was neither of that for me. Mm -hmm. You know, when it came out of Cannes, I was like, oh, okay, this could possibly be Matt Damon's oscar nomination again but it depends on the release and now that it's been released and it's just not really buzzy i'm kind of thinking Mm -hmm. like this would be the type of oscar you would win with a november release in 2005 like that's just what it feels like to me it's just not like a 2021 best actor performance Maybe that's why too i'm kind of just indifferent about it because it feels like it should have been made a long time ago yeah and the whole amanda knox thing if anyone wants to go down this rabbit hole She posted a very long Twitter thread about how, you know, this movie is loosely based on the Amanda Knox case. She wasn't consulted. She would like to have a conversation with Tom McCarthy and Matt Damon um, about how the Abigail Breslin character is portrayed. Yeah, I don't know a ton about that story either, specifically about the ending of this movie. But I think it is intriguing hearing her perspective. Do you think this has any awards potential? At all, like Matt Damon, maybe, but other aspects? I don't think so. The one thing I did like about this is that it played like a European film. But even with that, I don't really see any of the technical components getting nominated either. What do you think? I'm kind of in the same boat. I also did like how it kind of felt more like a French movie at times. And I think that's due in part Mm -hmm. to um, some of the French writers who worked on the script with Tom McCarthy. But yeah, I think the late summer release makes it challenging. The plethora of other screenplay nominations we could get this year. Original screenplay Mm -hmm. is going to be a really competitive category, I think. So I don't know if we can have room for it there. And 
Matt Damon's in a little bit of PR heat right now. Um, that could, you know, just fizzle out for him. Like, I don't know if the Academy will care, yeah. unfortunately, but that's definitely something to consider. Or if he's just going to get more buzz for The Last Duel and oh. supporting actor. Oh, God. <laughs> no. And then if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would you give it? This is going to sound kind of crazy, but I really liked Camille Catan in this. I thought she was great. I think I would start a bid for Best Supporting Actress for Lilu Siavode, who plays Maya. I actually thought she brought a lot of heart to the movie, and her scenes with Matt Damon I did really mm-hmm. enjoy. So another thing about awards, just potential, I did see that Focus was having the first like in-person Oscars FYC event for Stillwater with Matt Damon. So they are pushing it. Whether or not that'll be hmm. successful is another story. <laughs> I do love that we're going to see Camille later this year in House of Gucci again. And I, I did really like her and Lilu's performance as this French mother and daughter. I guess if I had to pick one, I would give it to Lilu. Okay, are we ready for the Green Knight? Yes. So letterbox description here. An epic fantasy adventure based on the timeless Arthurian legend, The Green Knight, tells the story of Sir Gawain, King Arthur's reckless and headstrong nephew, who embarks on a daring quest to confront the eponymous Green Knight, a gigantic emerald-skinned stranger and a tester of men. It was directed by David Lowry. It stars Dev Patel, Alicia Vikander, Joel Edgerton, and Ralph Ineson. What did you think of The Green Knight? So I know nothing about Camelot king arthur any legends here so i fully went in just expecting this fun fantasy story and that is exactly what i got it's very much a slow burn which i also enjoyed because it's beautiful to watch the shots the colors all of the sets that you're on everything is just so magical and i loved how the story was presented we had quite a few chapters and titles throughout the film i think i also really liked how Lowry made this very mystical, mythologic story feel so real, more so than old, really. (laughs) I think we can dive into parts of the cinematography or the costumes or certain elements later on, but what did you like about The Green Knight? So I told you earlier before we started recording that this is my Dune. There is no bit of like Arthurian legend medieval lit that is too nerdy for me i love it so much and i'm obsessed with this movie this is my favorite 2021 release so far i think that what david lowry does here is so challenging we honestly i can't even put it into words what he accomplished because sir gawain and the green knight is a core part of medieval canon in literature it's a 14th century poem we don't know who the author is one copy of this poem exists in the world it was almost lost in a fire it's this like very majestic tale just even at the start and what he does here is he recognizes and understands the power of the story and why it has persisted for centuries which is that it's about witchcraft it's about paganism christianity love lust sex violence internal struggles he gets what is at the core of this poem and how the language works in the poem i thought that he did a fantastic job understanding that but also modernizing it and changing the gawain character quite a bit i truly believe i think that this is the best literary adaptation since greta gerwig's little women wow 
It's really hard text to adapt. I really can't believe he did it in this way. I'm really glad that you really liked it, kind of not knowing anything about the story. I'm a little worried about that for some people, but more so I'm nervous, I guess, that people will go into this expecting like your classic swords and shields Arthurian tale with a lot of battles because that's not what this is. This is a much more like internal tale. It's an allegory for like man versus nature. And, you know, that's what I really liked about it. That's that's what's on the page in the poem. But I don't mm-hmm. know if that's exactly what the trailer is selling. So we'll see how people react to it. Well, I will say A24 lied because swords were not touched. That was annoying. I, yes. <laughs> if a movie has a graphic, graphic nudity, nudity tag. That's not graphic nudity. I'm sorry. No, no. We were expecting a lot more. <laughs> I will say with the ending, it felt a little abrupt, mainly because after the movie, when my friend and I went down this Wikipedia rabbit hole uh-huh. and found out that this story was so different than the actual tale, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, wow, it's just strange that it ended here when the story ended very differently. So how did you feel about that? Or maybe why do you think he adapted this part in that way or... How did you feel? So, okay, first, big spoiler warning. Um, If you don't want the ending spoiled, specifically of how this adaptation tackles the ending, definitely skip ahead. We can put a timestamp on it. But I thought that this ending was very devious and brilliant. I love the ambiguity of the ending here. So for people who aren't familiar with the traditional poem, the way that the poem ends is that you find out who the Green Knight is. The Green Knight is the Lord that you meet earlier on. So the Joel Edgerton character, that is who the Green Knight is. And as part of their bargain with the hunt and, you know, telling each other what they got that day, Gawain lies and doesn't tell him about the sash, which in this movie is a very funny scene attached to it. (laughs) He lies. And so the Green Knight, we see him like deliver the blow to Gawain's neck and... He just gets a nick, basically. And the nick is representative of the sash, of him lying, not telling the truth about the lady. And in this version, we just get the off with your head, which I viewed in a cheeky way, specifically just the off with your head cut to title card, because Mm -hmm. that is also the first time that we see the Green Knight in the movie. Love that. I loved that. I thought that was great. And I just thought to myself, like, okay, you can believe that his head comes off. Or you can believe that it doesn't. I'm choosing to believe that it doesn't because that's how canon goes. And I thought it was just kind of a little winking way to do that there. The 15-minute interlude, the imagined life Mm -hmm. post The Green Knight, I loved. I thought it showcased Dev Patel's acting. He does not say a word in 15 minutes. And you get entirely what has happened to this character where I think you can really see what power does and Mm -hmm. you see him have a son you see him become king you see his son die in battle you see him get married but it's not to the essel alicia vikander character you see all of this and you see how it destroys him so in the end it makes you kind of think like what's worse getting decapitated by this green knight or living this like sad fake life with this power this alternate reality sequence Reminded me of Mommy, one of my favorite Xavier Dolan films, where you go through this entire reality. And I didn't realize that's what this was at first. And finally, when I did, and they rewound 
to Gawain in front of the Green Knight waiting to be beheaded, I was like, whoa, I need a second to just take this in Mm -hmm. and understand what's happening. And it's funny because that kind of ties into old and a little bit of click, too. And I was like, (laughs) oh, my gosh. (laughs) I think another thing I want to tie in is the mother. So from what I understood, she was the one who kind of brings about this whole story and quest because she wants her son to have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. But then what's her part, I guess, towards the end of all of this? So I think it's easiest to probably think about it this way. David Lowry, what he does is he kind of combines these two characters, Morgan Le Fay, who's very famous in Arthurian legend as this witchy woman. I'm describing this Mm -hmm. in like very basic terms because I know it can get very in-depth and inaccessible very quickly. He combines these two characters, Morgaus and Morgan Le Fay, into one character. So in the original tale, Morgaus is Gawain's mother and she's also Morgan Le Fay's sister. She's less powerful than Morgan Le Fay, but still important. So the movie, he makes Morgan Le Fay Gawain's mother instead of Morgaus. And in the poem, Morgan Le Fay is the one orchestrating everything, but it's mostly because she's mad at Arthur and Guinevere and wants just to throw a wrench in their Christmas plans. Kind of think of like Sleeping Beauty, kind of like Maleficent, but less evil, just kind of annoyed. So in this version, though, it's not so much that she's mad at Arthur and Guinevere. It's that she just she wants her son to get a life and like become someone and stop depending so much on his mother, which David Lowry has actually mentioned was kind of inspired by his own relationship with his mother. Like he lived at home for far too long, he said. Um, So I thought that was funny. So she was responsible for obviously like conjuring up the Green Knight and for all of this in the poem. He doesn't get the sash until he gets it from the lady, but here he gets it as protection from his mother early on, and that's like their witchy protection, which I thought was interesting too, because it's like, that's very typical of mothers and sons, I think, is that your mom, you know, wants you to be out on your own, be independent, be out of the house, but also gives you this protection so that nothing can happen to you and is still involved. So she's truly involved the whole time. This is her doing, and you kind of wonder, and I think he leaves it open-ended, you know, like, why is she doing this so much, especially Mm -hmm. near the end. But there's a really, really cool moment when the Green Knight is waking up, when Gawain goes to the chapel where you can see his Mm -hmm. face become Morgan Le Fay, the Lord, King Arthur, these very different characters who have all kind of influenced Gawain's decisions Mm. um, and him going on this journey. So that's her involvement. It's just that she's the one behind it, but her reasoning for it is because she wants Gawain to just like get his act together become somebody and one thing I really like too that he says at the beginning is when he's asked if he's a knight yet he says he has time I thought that that was very smart of just like how young people talk about their futures and like I have time I have Mm -hmm. plenty of time and I know I have so many questions Um, no it's okay I think it's helpful also with Alicia playing both characters is that from the original tale too that they look the same and I know that's harder to get across in a written format instead of visually but I think it adds this mysterious layer to what's going on because he doesn't want to marry Essel back home but then he has this sort of affair with the lady in the poem Essel doesn't exist um, from what I remember so this Mm. is a creation of his and I think it's just again to 
maybe show like that male behavior, honestly, of like, you know, who is acceptable for you, especially like in these circles back then, like he wouldn't have been able to clearly, as we saw from the alternate, you know, the imagined ending, he couldn't have had a life with Essel. But this woman, her doppelganger and doubles have always been, I think, in cinema, something so fascinating to look at and think about, think about Vertigo, Persona. And here it's showing like, okay, this woman has Mm -hmm. Essel's face, like Essel's body, but has the status. So she's finally someone Mm -hmm. that he can like see himself with possibly, um, even though she's forbidden, which also always adds a layer for men Mm -hmm. um, as a test. But she is a crucial part of the original poem, The Lady, but she's not connected to his past in that way. So the alternate reality isn't in the tale. No. I think that the reality is what you can assume happens to characters like that. That's what happens when you attain that kind of power. And I think also it's a commentary on the way that we see Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table in this. They look really old and decrepit. They don't look like the Knights of the Round Table that you think of who can, Mm -hmm. you know, win battles. They look like they're aging and falling out. And I think that's kind of what happened to these types of kings and as society progressed. But he took off the sash, and that's what was supposed to protect him. And Mm -hmm. I understand that in the tale, the Green Knight is actually the Lord. Mm -hmm. But if he takes it off and the Green Knight in the movie beheads him, which is also what happens in the tale, is that he takes the sash off and his head just falls off. So that was like, wait, is this going to happen? Does it not happen? Is this only just some test to find out if... Gawain has courage and honor and that the Green Knight won't actually do it. Yeah, I mean, I think what's pretty cool about it is, right, you don't know. It's it's ambiguous. Mm-hmm. It's not, like, wrapped up in a bow like the medieval tale and that I think Lowry's commenting on how in modern society, like, none of this stuff really matters. It doesn't matter if you're, like, striving for greatness or you go on these tales. I think we're always told that, you know, if you become the best version of yourself, get a promotion at your job, you know, have this life that's full of these mm-hmm. bullet points on your resume, your life's going to be better and it just doesn't matter. Nobody cares. And I love that that's yeah. what he's saying here. You know, run away. Nobody cares. Stay here. Nobody cares. Take off your belt. Doesn't matter. Like, this is a game and it's just kind of how life is. And I like that. And you can read it either way as in, you know, he takes the sash off, his head falls off. He takes the sash off. It's just a game. The Green Knight lets him go. I have a hard time believing his mom would behead him, but... Yeah, it is fun to just kind of think about. Yeah, and that's what I was kind of saying at the beginning of just... I think he gets the power of the story and why these tales were so popular is because they're so universal. You can take them and you can really apply them to any time. And you just have Mm -hmm. to get creative of how you can adapt them. And that's definitely what he did here. Yeah, I definitely want to go see this again. Regardless, I think A24 has a very interesting beheading fetish they do so many heads and what did you think of saint winifred and her head that whole plot i mean i was very perplexed by that too but i loved the shots when he was in the spring and underwater and the colors changed it was just so fascinating that's why i brought this up not so much for like for how you felt about the actual plot point because (laughs) i mean it's slightly referenced in the poem they don't go into it as much depth there but the shots in that scene were so gorgeous underwater above water what Mm -hmm. he did with the colors because colors are also so big in medieval literature 
Yeah. Lowry and Andrew Palermo, the cinematographer, just totally understand lighting, blocking, framing, everything about the camera here. And I think that was the most fun and intriguing part of the movie for me. Besides the story, besides the acting, besides fawning over Dev Patel. Oh my god. (laughs) There were so many shots that I was just in awe by. Even when he's walking up the steps at the castle very early on or when the camera does this 180 flip Mm -hmm. which has been done before yes but i think it adds this layer of mysticism and mystery that the story really thrives on but i love how so many of the shots you could just pull out and they would feel like dutch or like flemish renaissance paintings specifically peter bruegel paintings Additionally, I teared up, and this one doesn't make any sense of why, but the shots when the children were watching the, like, puppet show, and they kept showing, Mm -hmm. like, the calendar and the puppet show, and they would go to the children, oh my god, and the lighting behind them was so just astonishingly beautiful. It's like, how did they make this? And it's pretty low budget, too. How did they accomplish all of this? It's just amazing. Well, there's this sense of foreboding just in everything that is happening, and Mm -hmm. I think especially there... You see the wheel turn and you realize that, you know, a year has passed, what's going to happen? And it's very visceral. Yeah. So two things. One, connection to old tier. The 360 camera work here really worked for me. Specifically when Gawain is tied up after the robbers leave him and they do 360 and you see the skeleton and it's like him imagining himself dying. And then you go back to him and you know it's imagined. So, so good. And then the other thing, I love how they combine Christianity and paganism in this, as like so much of the pagan calendar revolves around summer solstice, winter solstice. You'll notice that when he's with the Lord, it's December 21st, which is the winter solstice. I loved that. (laughs) And just the connection to seasons. But then also when he's getting ready to go on this journey, you have this cross-cutting between Christian tradition of him being blessed by Guinevere and then you have the pagan tradition of Morgan Le Fay and the witches preparing the sash for him which Mm -hmm. will protect him and I thought that was a really really smart way to showcase these things to people that would have read or could have read this poem back then it would have been everything that's that's what was popular and prominent at the time so I think overall this was our favorite of the bunch I think Mm -hmm. that's easy to say (laughs) (laughs) What kind of awards potential do you think the Green Knight's going to have? Unfortunately, like I think it stops pretty much with critics groups up to Independent Spirit. It's been really, really praised by critics, which is exciting. But I can't see this connecting with mm. industry voting bodies. I would love for it to get some recognition at the guilds because I think that the work technically is mm-hmm. beyond what I ever anticipated from this think so it's i mean it's better than lord of the rings and that won so many oscars so oh my gosh the return of the king is that what you're saying and fellowship and the two towers and obviously all the hobbit movies (laughs) i would love to see it get nominated for its writing as an adapted screenplay and then also for cinematography maybe even editing but again like you said probably at those independent ceremonies I think spirit could definitely happen. Yeah. I want a Dev Patel acting push. Like him carrying this movie. Just again, that 
alternate reality sequence alone. Yes, he's doing some smoldering, which worked on me, but I will say, like, acting without dialogue, just communicating everything that character is feeling, that's intense. It's really astonishing stuff. And if you could give this movie one Oscar, or two, because we have a carryover, what would they be? (laughs) While I think Dev is great here, I think I'm happy with his nomination for Lion. So I'm going to go with Andrew Palermo for cinematography, and then also David Lowry for Best Director. Okay. What would you give it? I would do Best Sound. The sound editing in this movie is amazing. Dang it. Wait, maybe I should do score. (laughs) Continue. (laughs) We have so many. It's okay. I thought the sound work, that was what really stood out to me on the second watch, was just noticing like what they showcase and what the mix sounds like what the editing sounds like, like capturing those otherworldly fantastical mm-hmm. sounds. I thought that was great work. Yeah. And I would also do best adapted screenplay. I think that, you know, like I said, adapting a medieval poem from the 14th century that is like very well known, I would say, especially in particular circles, but into something that's incredibly modern that leans into those witchy elements. I, I mean, I thought it was incredible. And I will note here that the soundtrack by Daniel Hart is on Spotify, so I will be listening to this immediately after recording. We're giving this movie so many Oscars. I love it. (laughs) And all of these movies that we talked about today, Pig, Old, Stillwater, and The Green Knight are all out in theaters now. Pig just became available on VOD, so you can watch that on VOD, but the rest of them, if you want to see them, you do at the moment have to check them out in theaters. But I think based on our conversation, if you're going to pick one to watch, definitely pick The Green Knight. Definitely The Green Knight. Next would be Pig, followed by Stillwater and Old. That would be my exact order, too. So having talked about four movies that came out in July, you know, we're getting more and more movies. We're kind of ramping up for the fall season, which is really exciting. And then in August, we have quite a few movies coming out, too. Starting out, we have The Suicide Squad... Vivo, Annette, Coda, Respect, Swan Song, The Night House, Flag Day, CryptoZoo, which was a Sundance crazy, crazy movie. Candyman will be out. There's a lot coming, so can't wait. I'm so excited. We're definitely going to be ramping up our release schedule very soon. Talking about so many movies coming, talking, of course, you know, as we get through the year their awards potential as we get more and more out of festivals still returning to our retro oscar content as well and next time on oscar wilds we will be doing another oscars movie trade this time we are focusing on two movies from 1998 i have given nick saving private ryan and he has given me shakespeare in love it's important to know i haven't seen shakespeare in love he hasn't seen saving private ryan One that I probably should have seen years ago, but definitely one that I'm excited to watch. I'm excited too. I will say nervous because I've avoided Shakespeare in Love on purpose. This is something like as someone who really likes Shakespeare, I just was not (laughs) interested in this type of movie that's just highly fictionalized. So we'll see. But I'm excited. There's also a lot there to unpack about Harvey Weinstein, Gwyneth Paltrow all of that. So I am excited to dive into both of these. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week. 
Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thank you.